Hey, Janet. Hey, Kat. So guess what? What? I ordered a chicken and an egg from Amazon. You I'll did? Let, mm-hmm. I'll let you know. Oh, which one comes first? <laughs> <laughs> It, that's that, a took, that took me a second. <laughs> I was reading it. I was like, wait, what? Oh, oh I get it. <laughs> Welcome to Manny versus Mommy. That's Janet Lee Barton. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's so great to my you brain. You almost said what? Janet Lee Peterson. Peterson. <laughs> yes. No, I'm Janet Lee Barton. Minus the Lee, unofficially. And that's Kent Neal Hexham. Mm-hmm. In case you want to Google stalk him or... It's so boring. I it is so boring. Mine's boring. It looks like I won the lottery or some something. Ooh. Like I'm a millionaire. Do you know that? Like different relatives? Janet Barton. Oh, what? Never mind. So say we're related. If you won the lottery. If oh not, yeah, we're related now. <laughs> I wish. Have you been holding out on me? <sighs> so Janet, what are you brought to us by this week? This week, I am still brought to you by baths. I think I've talked about it already, but. Man, that jacuzzi tub, and I actually don't use the jets. Really? Yeah, I don't love them. You just sit and I just sit and soak water? in a bath. Yep, soupy water is that we said. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I bathe often enough that I figure you know I'm pretty yeah. dang clean from that. But I use Epsom salts, and then I alternate the essential oils that I use. I've been using Adaptive recently, thanks to your suggestion. Have you liked it? It is very nice. It's a game changer. It I is, really think it is. It is very relaxing, very calming. I love it. And sometimes I'll use um, Copaiba because that's specifically for pain. It's similar mm-hmm. to CBD yeah. as far as affecting the cannabinoids, uh, cannabinoid receptors. So I'll combine that with um, an Aroma Touch, which is a blend that has a bunch of different relaxing, calming. It's like know, a massage blend. A right? massage yeah. blend, yeah. And so I'll put those in with my Epsom salts. And I actually just ordered bulk Epsom salts on Amazon couple big 19 pound bags carl's like you want two of them yeah because that'll (laughs) last me you know about a month (laughs) so i should take stock out and up some salts based on how often i'm taking a bath it's almost every night i didn't have one uh last night because we went to the drag show yeah um and so we got home really late what 130 ish yeah and so i did not have a bath last night and i'm feeling it today I feel like I need to have one after we're done recording. <laughs> I'm, I just might. I wonder if the colder weather, too, the baths just help warm me up. Yeah, that's probably part of it. And I think the Epsom salts help a lot with my back pain. Yeah. You know, I've just been having a lot of joint pain and muscle pain, and it moves all the time. Sometimes it's my shoulders. Sometimes, almost always, it's in my back. But sometimes in my hips, my knees, my ankles, you know, my hands always hurt. Yeah. So I think it just helps you know soothe those sore muscles so what are you brought to us by this week uh a steering wheel heater oh and seat warmers if i had to pick though between a steering wheel heater and seat warmers i pick a steering wheel heater every single time really oh my it makes such a difference and maybe i just have really cold hands really cold fingers but there's nothing greater than grabbing a warm steering wheel while you're driving that does sound magical it's and incredible. i drove my car after i was in your car and your seat heaters. And I was like, oh, mine are nothing. I mean, it's a 2005. It's an older car. I'm surprised they still work. Knock on wood. But yeah, your seat heaters are really nice. So I can imagine how good the steering wheel heater is. Oh, it's so nice. That's one of the things like, okay, any future vehicle I buy, it's going to just have to have. That's your standard. Yep. See, my standard now is leather seats. So I can have the heated seats. Mm-hmm. 
and a V6. And that's it. I was trying to explain to my kids the other day when I first started buying a car back in the 90s, my requirements that I really wanted were power locks and windows and cruise control. Those were the things that I was like, oh, man, it'd be awesome if I could get a car with those. Those have been standard for so long now. I'm like, I don't have to worry about that. And I really I have those I have those two must haves. That's it. Leather seats and V6, which, you know, makes me feel kind of fancy. But I like driving fast. I like beating people off the line at a stoplight. Goodbye. It's fun. It's fun to have that power. So funny story. When I got my Jeep. Absolutely love it. I, have a, I drive a Cherokee. Get a notification in the mail that there's a recall and big bold letters. Do not use your cruise control. That's so, so like, scary. I Google it and I'm like, okay, why? You know, why not? And I guess there was some glitch where you put it in cruise control and there's no way to get it out. Not even the brake. Not even the not brake. Not the emergency brake. Nope. And you Tuck can't. Tuck and roll. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> from what I was reading online, some people were able to just knock it into neutral. Yeah. And then be fine, you know, because... After it's a neutral, then you can use the brake and stuff. Other people weren't even able to knock it into neutral. Oh. So I'm like, oh, great. What did I do? You know, what? This is a major thing. And this is not too long after that actor who played in the Star Trek movies. And I really wish I could remember his name. But he had died because he had gotten out of his Jeep, I think, to open his gate at his house. And he had put it in park. And even with the Jeep in park, it slipped out of gear and rolled over him and, like, crushed him. Oh. And so uh, I was like... So tragic. Yeah. So then I'm, you know, that starts flying through my mind. Like, oh, no, somebody's already died from a similar, maybe similar issue, from an issue like this. And, oh, great, now I'm going to die. So for, like, months. It was hard. We were driving down to Mount Pleasant at that time, which is, like, an hour and a half away. And we would take a trip you know, once a month or so at that point. Yeah. And you had no cruise control. And I couldn't put it on. And I, <sighs> it was hard. I should have gotten into the shop earlier, but it was one of those, you have to schedule and they have to have your car for a couple days, three hours to 10 weeks. <laughs> Somewhere. In so there. you have to schedule. And then I would need a, you know, a different car. So I had to schedule in a time when they would have a loaner car available. And finally I was able to get it all worked out. And it was like, it was actually right before we went to Vegas. Yeah, that's right. And I got it worked right. out. And it was only like two hours. I guess the initial rush of people trying to get it fixed had gone through, so they were able to just get it out pretty quickly. But... Thank goodness for procrastination then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and just being fearful. And I did actually put it in cruise control one time, not paying attention. Oh. And I started freaking out. You were with panic. me. Panic. <laughs> yes. You're panic. Oh, we're going to die. <laughs> I was ready to tuck and roll. Yeah. At 80 <laughs> miles an hour. <laughs> sure, you could survive that. Uh, okay, so I have a fun topic. Something that I came across on social media that I thought was really interesting. How often would you say you want to be hugged? How often do I want to be hugged? Yeah. I love hugs. Multiple times a day. Yeah. I like hugs. I hug when I see people. I hug when I say goodbye. I'm a big hugger. And I love the long hugs, the heart hugs. Yeah. I had one of those just recently when on Wednesday when we found out that there was a 
student, a cadet from UMA that had taken his own life. Mm-hmm. And my kids were having such a hard time. And they had a friend over who went to the, who goes to the same school. And that kid, I said, do you want a hug? Cause he'd been crying along with my boys and just really struggling. And I said, do you want a hug? He said, sure. And so actually he kind of bowed his head a little bit and nodded and said, yes. And he's a big kid. And so, you know, my little tiny frame hugging him, you know how that is. Um, But I just held him and our hearts were lined up. I've read recently how good it is to line up the left sides of your body as you hug so that your hearts actually connect, Hmm. that your hearts, you know, are touching essentially. And a good 20 seconds is what's recommended at least. Because that's when you really settle into that physical connection. And right before we finish the hug is when he finally let go. And I could feel it. And he let me in. And then he was done. And I was like, perfect. I'm glad he got what he needed, you know. Mm -hmm. I had a very similar experience with our friend uh, Captain Tidwell at the drag show. She had gone with us. And unbeknownst to Jason, he had brought up you know, accepting others and the suicide rate here in Utah is the highest in the nation. Among young children. Among young children, yeah, yeah teens. Youth. And, and so, you know, it being so fresh for her, for one of her students, I could tell that she was having a really difficult time with it. And so when the show was done, and I had, you know, given her hugs and we're pretty physically affectionate with one another, but I stopped her and just held her for a good 30, 35 seconds. And there was a moment where she like tried to pull away and I just squeezed a little bit tighter. Yeah. And then she, that's when she just, you know, broke down for just a moment. Yeah. And then we were able to be okay and, you know, continue on. It makes such a difference. It's so good for you. And let's talk about why. I thought it was really interesting when you mentioned what we were going to talk about um, from a physical aspect, why it's so good to have those hugs. So according to the dailyhealthpost.com, New study, the more you hug your children, the more their brains develop. That's fascinating. Isn't that crazy? Physical touch is important. Everybody knows, anybody who's taken a psychology class knows about that study in Russia mm-hmm. I that just they did. That. Yeah, where, and I don't remember the name of the study. They don't really deserve a lot of credit, in my opinion, because it was completely unethical and things like this don't happen anymore. But they did a study in an orphanage with babies, infants. And they had a control group, of course, and the experimental group, some of the babies got taken out of their cribs to be fed. Excuse me. (laughs) (laughs) And my stomach's not feeling well. (laughs) Um, Some of them got taken out of their cribs to be fed and, and held and just got affection. They got touched. And the other babies never got touched. They didn't get taken out of their crib. They literally had almost no physical contact, no love. And they died. A lot of those babies actually died of failure to thrive. They were getting fed. They were getting their diaper changed, but no human interaction, no love. And they literally died from it, from not having physical touch. The hard thing with that is, yes, that was a Russian uh, study that they did. But that was common practice here in the United States if you had physical or mental disabilities. Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. So so I worked at the Utah State Developmental Center, 
with adults that had physical and mental disabilities. And I mean, just decades before, they were literally babies dropped off. Locked and, away. Yeah. And you had one, one staff member for 20, 30, 40 babies. So it was and literal they just, yeah, they just diaper change, ba- bottle. And they just lay there. And as they got older, they were just put in cages and Ugh. just the bare basics. It's so true. And it's heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. And so finding new science like this that shows how important it is. I mean, not everybody hears about it. Not everybody knows. Not everybody's going to do that. But at least at an institutional level, it's made a difference. Yeah. You know, I mean, you look at the care that babies get now when they have to be hospitalized even if they don't have disabilities, but a lot of them do, you know, going into the neonatal intensive care unit and things like that, pediatric hospital unit, they're cared for so differently. The parents are involved and there's so many more resources available. So this article says, we are born to love. And as it turns out, love and affection are necessary for both optimal, positive, emotional and physical development. Oxytocin is a hormone and a neurotransmitter the hypothymus produces and the pituitary gland secretes. Scientists first identified and observed it in the in 1906. So we've kind of known about it a little bit for 100 years. Shout out to oxytocin for birth, actually. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. So, so what's it's the what, role with birth? It, it's what gets birth. <laughs> in the process of childbirth. Okay, keep going. <laughs> you just tell us. I won't read it. Oh, uh, well, I, yeah, I worked as a doula and a student midwife, and I do have nine children of my own. Um, oxytocin is what gets labor going. It's what makes the uterus contract. And after birth, there is a huge surge in a, in a release of that hormone, which... That's why I'm such a proponent for unmedicated birth when possible, because those hormones do what they're supposed to do. Um, So after birth, there's a huge release of oxytocin to help the uterus clamp down so that it decreases bleeding, right? Mm -hmm. But also it's called the love hormone. And it's very important for mom to be holding baby as that happens. And for dad, if he's involved, to be there as well. Because typically what would happen is baby goes over to get assessed immediately instead of being on mom's chest for the first hour, which is ideal um, for bonding uh, as a family. But a lot of times they'll take the baby over to, um, you know, the bassinet or whatever and do the assessment. And dad goes where? With the baby. Yeah. Right. And if the baby has to leave the room for whatever reason, the same thing happens. Dad goes with. And so mom oftentimes is getting examined to make sure there wasn't any tearing and things like that. And she's looking at her doctor as this huge surge of oxytocin comes, this love hormone, not uncommon for a woman to fall in love with her OB. It's very common. And I think that hormonal surge is part of it. And interestingly, as a woman breastfeeds, oxytocin continues to be released and it's been proven that not only does it affect her and the baby, it gets released into the home. And so everyone living in the home feels that motherly loving effect of oxytocin. It's pretty magical stuff. Well, if you look at it from a baby's viewpoint, they've only known the womb and they go through this very traumatic experience. Of getting their heads squeezed. (laughs) Yeah. You know, the physical trauma, but also like being exposed to the air and new lights and sounds. So it would make sense to put the baby with the mother so it can hear the heartbeat that it's been listening to. And skin to skin is Mm -hmm. magical for this reason. It's, I mean, it's proven. 
The article says the brain rewards us for living with others. Oxytocin increases feelings of trust, which are intuistic to all close personal relationships. What's that word? Intuistic? Intrinsic. Intrinsic. I knew I said that wrong. Yeah. Thank you, dyslexia. Yay. Hey, but you, you overcome <laughs> I powered it. through. Yep. It's because I trust you because of our levels of oxytocin. Yes, I'm releasing oxytocin right now for us. I'm sure men do too, but it's definitely more of a female hormone, I think. Some animals are solitary, but humans are not. Social inclusion and interaction are necessary for our survival. This becomes evident when we become socially isolated, starting with depression and often culminating in disease. The neurobiological mechanisms of love and attachment are a wonderful circle. We fall in love, have a baby, raise a child with love and affection, and the child continues the process. I love that. I love the thought of that. You know what occurred to me the other day? Um, And I'd heard it somewhere before. When I was pregnant with my daughters, when my daughters, if they choose to have children, go on to have children, I carried my grandbabies inside me. Because when a baby girl is developing, she has all of her eggs from the time that she's developing in Mm -hmm. the womb. So because of that, if she's carrying her eggs and I'm carrying her, I'm carrying my grandbabies. Super cool to think about. Just a side note. That's so weird. Isn't it? It's like, mind blown. (laughs) Mind blown. Oxytocin is essential for embryonic brain development. More specifically, it plays a role in blood vessel formation in the pituitary gland, which controls several psychological processes such as stress, growth, and reproduction. Hmm. Secure attachments between people and other mammals require trust. With this as a foundation, we are more able to cope with stress and avoid destructive addictive behaviors. This complex process begins with the bonding between parents and and children. At birth. And that's why that bonding period, that magic window is so important. I mean, we've all heard of the study probably where the monkey is separated from her baby and then she rejects it when they bring it back. Why would we be much different? I mean, logically, right? We've got our logical brain, but our primate basic, um, what do they call that? Like the basement brain, the primitive brain Mm -hmm. doesn't probably respond all that differently. You know, we know we should love the baby, but do we? Causes a lot of postpartum depression if that bonding period doesn't happen. But if it doesn't, or in the case of adoption, there are a lot of ways to increase that bonding. Well, it even says it's essential for embryonic brain development. Yeah. So that's in utero. Is that correct? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, an embryo. And yeah, I mean, if you miss that period, um, whether it's because of adoption, I mean, that, that trust, of course, has to happen. And that's why I'm so against some of the newborn practices that happen Mm -hmm. and it will be controversial it's not meant to be but circumcision is one of those i mean if you bring an infant into this world and within hours or days essentially mutilate it and cause pain and trauma what does that teach that baby about trust with the world you know that i mean our bodies remember trauma yeah. Absolutely. That is our nervous ingrained. system remembers trauma. It does. Our DNA remembers it. So that gets passed on, even if we don't want it to. Thanks, mom and dad. <laughs> when you know better, you do better. <laughs> I'm just saying. A little bit of both for me. 
The brain produces a high level of oxytocin to stimulate labor during pregnancy. (gasps) Really? Yeah. (laughs) After birth, oxytocin is even higher in infants than in mothers. So that's the crucial moment, like you said. It is. It really is for that bonding and that level of trust and obviously brain development. And they're feeling really good. And then here's a whole bunch of pain. Exactly. Away from the heartbeat that you're used to. It breaks my heart. Additionally, in combination with prolactin, which is another hormone, oxytocin stimulates milk production for breastfeeding. The levels stay high for mother and baby for as long as the baby nurses. I love that because that's, I mean, extended breastfeeding is another thing that I'm a huge fan of. Um, You know, and I understand not everybody's able to for whatever reason, but if you can, it's so beneficial, not just for this bonding, um, but, you know, and that, I mean, the loving and bonding hormone, babies nurse for a lot of reasons. It's not just for food. It is for comfort. It is for love. And in a toddler who's nursing, if they get hurt, what better thing to come and just be near mom and her heart and get that oxytocin and, you know, the antibodies and all kinds of stuff. But it also does something else that I was going to say. And now I can't remember because you're looking like you have something to say. <laughs> well, you're just like jumping ahead of the oh, article. Always. You haven't I'm, even seen this article. I haven't read even it, but... <laughs> read it. No, no. This is all just for me. <laughs> says the chemical reaction that follows when a mother and baby nurse is nothing short of amazing. Through three different release pathways, oxytocin functions rather like a system activator and often influences the release of other signaling substances such as opioids, serotonin, dopamine, and noradrenaline. Magical stuff. Magical. And it is a feedback loop. The interesting thing about breastfeeding, just kind of a side note, as a baby nurses, the saliva gets on the mother and there are ducts and glands um, in the breast that receive that information and the mom makes milk for what the baby needs. So if the baby gets exposed to a disease of some kind, the mother will make antibodies for that baby to support it. Because the mother's body already knows what to do with it. Yeah, because of that positive feedback loop. And one of the other things that I was going to mention is the health for mom. Your chances of having like ovarian or breast cancer plummet for every year that you breastfeed. I mean, at this point, if I got the, an, either kind of those cancers or any kind of like womanly cancer, I would be an exception. I've done so many years of breastfeeding. <laughs> I'm pretty much immune now. A fascinating study of oxytocin in parents with infants found that levels increased where there are positive interaction with their babies. In addition, increased oxytocin was found in parents who enjoy positive close relationship with their partners and their own parents, indicating that we pass on the love hormone through positive social interaction. I love that. I love the thought of everybody, even as adults, being able to increase oxytocin and have that interaction pass on to other people. Because it doesn't mean that if you miss that window, I mean... You can't go back, right, and get those moments when you know better, you do better, but you can recreate, you know, you can create a positive environment starting now. Once a baby is weaned from his or her mother, the brain produces oxytocin as a result of, the, of affectionate touch. Healthy personal interactions also stimulate, stimulate hormone release. Hugging your child is the most natural instinct a parent has because it feels good for both of you. 
As we've seen, physical affection in childhood is, in, in childhood is instinctive and feels good because it fosters a solid emotional and physical foundation and the ability to develop trust and strong bonds with others. So all of love's mysteries will never truly be understood. We know that it's part of who we are as a species and is necessary for our survival. Spread those hugs around. Everyone needs them. It's so true. It's so true. And I, you know, I find there's people that aren't huggers and I respect that, Mm -hmm. you know, but I always say, you know, I'm a hugger. People put out their hand when they first meet me to shake and I'm like, I'm a hugger, you know, (laughs) and you can tell if they are or not, you know, if they kind of stand there with their hand out still and get this scared look on their face. I'm like, okay, that's fine if you're not. And a lot of times when I introduce people to Carl at a party, when we first started dating, which is three years ago today on the 10th Happy the day anniversary. that we're recording. Yeah. Congratulations to us. Um, we're going to go see a movie later. Big time celebrating. But we have our Christmas trip coming up. That's why. That's awesome. <laughs> I think a movie's a great way to celebrate. Yeah, I'm excited. It'll be fun. Uh, as long as you hug. Nice little break. Yes, we'll touch during the movie. Um, but I find that when I introduce people, it it's always funny because I've gotten in the habit of saying, you know, oh, nice to meet you. I'm Janet. I'm a hugger. And then I introduce Carl. I say, this is Carl. He's not. (laughs) (laughs) You know, he's a little more reserved with his hugs and doesn't enjoy hugging strangers, you know, which is fine. But I love the idea of people standing on a a street somewhere with a sign that says free hugs, you know, because it is just so important to have that physical connection for everyone. Mm Mm-hmm. Be generous with the hugs. I thought it was interesting, though, that article didn't mention, um, it talked a lot about the hormones, but it didn't talk specifically about the brain development. Is that what they were referencing is just the hormones? I was expecting like information on neural pathways being expanded and stuff me, like that. I didn't see a lot through. of science. I kind of skipped some of the stuff that you were talking about. So let me just... Maybe it was in there. Maybe not. Maybe it really was just about the hormones. Cause so, And interestingly, you know where most of our hormones come from? Our gut. Weird. Uh Uh-huh. A lot of our hormones are like serotonin and dopamine, and a lot of them actually are formulated in our gut. And that's why it's so important for our brain health to take care of our second brain, our gut. I could go off on that whole tangent. (laughs) Gut health. Let's see. We've talked about circumcision and breastfeeding and it's been kind of a... Let's let's open up Janet's hippie box. Let's uh, I'd appreciate wait, that doesn't sound dirty. <laughs> I realized as I said that, I was like, let's let's look in the uh, something else. Let's not use the word box. I don't know. It just exposes Did I my re- hippie side. So it just said that it activates the three release pathways and Mm -hmm. we brought up the serotonin the dopamine and the noradrenaline through these activations different behavioral and psychological effects are facilitated and coordinated into adaptive patterns which are influenced by the type of stimuli and environmental factors which is why breastfeeding is so key if you can if you can you do it as long as you can i i grew up with you know my mom saying you breastfeed for a year that's it that's just what you do uh and interestingly when i got pregnant with my third, my second pregnancy, my girls were only four months old. And so I continued breastfeeding until they were six months. And my doctor, bless his heart, 
I see midwives now for a reason. <laughs> um, but my doctor told me that I would lose the baby if I kept breastfeeding, which is so wrong. It's dead wrong. It's not evidence-based. There's nothing backing it up. And granted, this was 17 years ago, but still, even then, most people knew better. I didn't. I, you know, he scared me, yeah. which was probably the intention. And so I quit breastfeeding like cold turkey. It was miserable. It was so hard on me physically. It was so painful, very hard emotionally, you know, in my relationship with the girls. And here I am pregnant and not able to devote as much time to them. And they don't understand why. And it was just a mess. And then the next ones I breast, you know, uh, breastfed for a year just because that's what you do. That's what I grew up with, and that's normal, you know? Mm -hmm. And then I met friends that breastfed beyond that, and I was like, oh, I love breastfeeding. I would love to keep going. Why didn't I? And so with the others, it was years, you know? And and the thing is about breastfeeding a toddler, it's not like breastfeeding a newborn. It's not their primary source of nutrition. They don't breastfeed every three to four hours like they do when they're tiny. They breastfeed maybe once or twice a day. You know, and it's like at bedtime or when they get hurt or, you know, first thing in the morning or nap time or whatever, you know, it's just they don't do it very often. And I was a working mom. And so my kids, you know, as they got older, I tandem nursed because I had my kids, you know, about two years apart. Yeah. The younger ones. And so, you know, I was breastfeeding a baby and a toddler at the same time. And that actually ended up being very beneficial um, because my milk supply was not what it needed to be when Sam was born. Because she was um, in the hospital. She was in the NICU for six days. Wow. And wasn't able to nurse the way that she should. And so because I was still breastfeeding Chuck, I had an amazing supply. So that when I pumped, I had enough to give away to some of the other babies. Mm -hmm. I said, here, I pumped 40 ounces. You can have some. I don't need 40 ounces, (laughs) you know? (laughs) So it was actually, there's a lot of benefits to extended breastfeeding. And I know people get weird about it, but I don't, now that I know more about it, I don't understand why people get weird about it. So one thing I loved about this article and one of the reasons I chose to really pursue it is because they have links to all the different studies that it references. I love that. So in this one link that I clicked on about brain development, it goes on to talk about Much of the body's chemistry is controlled by the brain, from blood pressure to appetite to food metabolism. In a study published recently, a team of scientists of the Wiseman Institute has revealed the exact structure of one crucial brain area in which biochemical commands are passed from the brain cells to the bloodstream and from there to the body. In the process, they discover a surprising new role for the hormone of love, the oxytocin. Mm Mm-hmm showing that it helps direct the development of this brain structure. And this brain structure, as it goes on to as it goes on to say, is the part of the brain that... Let me make sure I get this right. Why don't want to missay it? There's so many big words. And it's little print. And no pressure from the song. My anxiety just went through the roof. I need a hug. (laughs) I'm happy to share. Since the neurocyphosis, sorry, is one of the only few portions of the brain able to regenerate after an injury, an understanding of how it is formed may one day help achieve such regeneration in other parts of the central nervous system. 
So the love drug helps the brain regenerate after an injury. Interesting. Or trauma. Or trauma. I would think would be the same. Yeah. Let me see that word. Neurohypophysis would be my guess. Look at me. I can read. Hypophysis. I don't know. (laughs) I did medical transcription for a lot of years. So I know the prefixes and the suffixes and the root words. And hypo means below. So I will share this on all of our social medias so that you can go through and read this article and click on the link studies and really dive into it. Yeah. You can geek out on it for days probably. But I just thought it was... And there's a cute picture of a baby on it too. (laughs) Cute little squishy there. (laughs) But it's incredible to see that something as simple, like now instead of referencing... Michelle shall font from the adult chair. It's going to be Jason Cosmo from Viva La Diva. <laughs> we'll probably do a little bit of both. Applause we is love, free. And we love so you, are Michelle. hugs. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> Applause is free and so are hugs. I love that. But I love that it talks about that that is one of the chemicals needed to build trust. Yeah, that foundation. Because without trust, how do we interact as humans? You know, and if you grow up in an environment where you know, there's abuse going on or abandonment or, you know, even serious disease. Um, it just really affects the ability to trust, you know, the world around you. And that's why I'm so such a big proponent of that first hour of birth. And, you know, I'm not a big fan of people having lots of visitors. You know, my rule when I had my yes, babies. Yes, I don't have to see you. <laughs> I mean. Ever. Um <laughs> Yeah, I'm not a big fan of visitors in general is what I'm saying. (laughs) No, I just, you know, when I was a doula and a student midwife, I was very protective of the first few days and weeks after having a baby because, you know, I having visitors come over really affects mom's ability to get sleep. Yeah. Um, It affects breastfeeding. You know, I was pretty open with people like, if you don't want to see me in my pajamas and see my tits out, like, don't come over (laughs) because... I'm not going to worry about covering myself when <laughs> totally that still make, stands. I'm going to make that shirt for you. <laughs> Actually, that's that's pretty standard even now. Sometimes I sneak out of my bedroom to get some water or something in the middle of the night. I'm like, well, topless, whatever. <laughs> I don't sleep with much on. But that's, I mean, it's so important for that initial bonding period and for breastfeeding to get off to a good start. Because if you're trying to feed a baby when there's people around, or you have to, that... The thing that bothered me the most when I was a new mom before I grew my figurative balls, as it were, um, I excused myself to go and feed the baby instead of feeding in the group, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm certainly not one to offend people on purpose, but breastfeeding is now legally protected in public in all 50 states. Jeez, why did it take until 2019? They're not just sweater decorations. They're for feeding a baby. You know what I mean? Sweater decorations. Well, oh, and so it's, you know, now a woman has a right to breastfeed anywhere. And there's a lot of controversy of, you know, women getting kicked out of Target and kicked off of a plane and all kinds of stuff because they wouldn't cover up. I don't have to cover up. If you don't want to see it, don't look. I'm feeding my baby. Because a lot of babies have a hard time getting covered up. You know, they fight it and it just makes it really hard, especially as a new mom. I remember an experience I had um, because, like I said, I excused myself and I'm such a social person. 
having to leave the room for 20, 30 minutes sometimes to go and feed my baby and miss out on what was going on was so hard. Yeah. And I resented my baby because of it sometimes, you know, it was just really difficult. We were at dinner one time and I was breastfeeding twins and generally I like to feed them at the same time if I was at home and I I could. Um, I actually breastfed them off in a little alley in Tijuana one time. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> just sat down, plopped out my little pillow that I had in the stroller, and bam, breastfed my four-month-old babies in Tijuana, back when you didn't have to have a passport to even cross the border. Um, but I was sitting at dinner with my family, and one of my family members, won't necessarily call him out, but one of my family members um, noticed that I had been breastfeeding at the table and uncovered, you know, I but I was very discreet. So much so that I'd been breastfeeding for like 10 minutes. I had breastfed the first baby, (laughs) like completely, (laughs) 10, 15 minutes. And he hadn't even noticed. And then suddenly he got offended about it. You know where I ended up? In the bathroom? In the bathroom. Where poop molecules are flying around there. I'm sitting in a stall breastfeeding my baby where, yeah, there's poop molecules going in her nose and mine. So disgusting. And I just, I hate stuff like that because that, you know, it affects mom's ability to breastfeed because if you can't breastfeed in public, you don't go out. Yeah. And then you've got that isolation issue or you worry about pumping so that you can take a bottle with you and moms just give up on breastfeeding. And it's really tragic because it's better for all of society if mom can breastfeed in my you know, completely unbiased opinion. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we've learned that it releases that hormone that builds trust. And that affects everybody. That's the cool thing. If you're around somebody who's breastfeeding, you're welcome. (laughs) You're welcome that you get to benefit from that because it's released into the environment. You know, it's not just the baby getting it. It's not just mom getting it because she's producing it. It's, it affects everyone. So I want to call out, the Mama Bear Connects, our friends Faith and Addie, who were recording in their house in their spot right now where they record theirs. Wee-hoo. They did a podcast episode not too long ago that talks about, uh, they were talking about brain development and they had a guest speaker. You remember? Yeah, it was about, about teen addiction. Teen addiction. Okay, thank you. I wanted to make mm-hmm. sure I got that right. And they said, and the expert who was talking said that teenage brains are... When during your teenage years, that's when your brains are most likely to absorb information. Yeah. And that's when they can that's when they learn the most. And I was listening to it with your daughter Haley in the background. She's like, Really? I would think it would be toddlers. And I was like, I thought that too, you know, because toddlers learn to to talk and to walk and they're doing lots of different things. But he said that teenage years are when they develop the most. And because often, of those neural pathways. Mm-hmm, that those expand. neural pathways. Yeah. So during the teenage years is it more important to hug our kids more? I would think so, based on that. Yeah. If their brain is rapidly going that much, are we going to build that trust and build that? Because we think, you know, it's easy to hug little kids. They usually want to hug. Yeah, and then you get teenagers, especially teenage boys with mom. It's like, meh. <laughs> <laughs> so that's just something else that we can consider and maybe bring up with them. Like, hey, we've read these studies. We've heard this. Science says I have to hug you. (laughs) Is this something you'd be interested in? (laughs) Consent first, but like, hey, this is important. Yeah, but science says, because science, just saying. It also says you need to rub my feet. Wait, what? Oh, 
I tell my kids that. I was like, I'm not rubbing your feet. (laughs) (laughs) I had actually a serious foot issue up in, like, you ask anybody in my family, true panic and disgust at like I would run out of a room my brother-in-law thought it was so funny he'd come chasing after me with his feet and I didn't matter if there were socks on shoes generally but no still don't put them near me and totally fine with people touching my feet you know my feet being on other people is fine because I know some people have an issue with that yeah but and Greg always said my kid's dad always said God gave us feet to keep us humble because he had Fred Flintstone feet, <laughs> flat and wide and hairy on top, short, fat toes. A couple of my kids got those feet, poor things, because I have gorgeous feet, if I do say so myself. But I had a serious foot aversion, like even kids' feet. Once they started walking, I couldn't handle kids' feet even. Baby feet were okay, but once they started walking, that was kind of the point where I was like, Ugh. And I think it was kind of the gross factor, but even if they were clean, fresh out of the shower, still don't put them on me. Just, but having a shit ton of kids, I worked through it. <laughs> I love that you brought this full circle because right before we started recording you were talking about how beautiful your feet are and now you've brought it into now the- i've now i have mentioned to all of now you close that i do have very cute feet just saying you can check that off your bucket list we've got it i've got it recorded for posterity's sake <laughs> so that's all i have yeah thanks for listening if you have any um feedback after you read the article if you're interested in that you know check it out but if you have any kind of personal anecdotes about how hugging has helped you or you know any references to that magic oxytocin or how you've kind of fostered I guess give me some ideas on um getting my teenagers to hug more you know (laughs) or even taking opportunity because I feel like I don't even see them all that often now that they're working and going to school and stuff their social lives are busy or if you can translate those really big word articles for me into simple terms, <laughs> that would also be appreciated. If you could put it in layman terms for Kent, he would love that. I have a great idea. Let's have the dyslexic read a whole bunch of information <laughs> in scientific I love, terms. <laughs> I love that you always pick those articles, too. I'm like, all right. They're fascinating. And, and when I read them in my head, it's not as bad. But when I have to vocalize, it's all oh, good luck. It's different. Yeah, and you're not even holding it upside down. I'm impressed <laughs> to be able to read it. Rate, subscribe, review. Please share the podcast with anybody that you think would be interested. And everybody should listen, honestly. I think we're pretty hilarious. Or people you don't think should listen. Yeah, we'll that's everyone. fine. Yeah, we'll... we'll <laughs> it's like Jason says, yeah. I'll screw your enemies out of 30 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> we, we love, love you. you. Bye. <laughs>